Good morning again. It's great to be back with you worshiping again this morning and back in this book of 1 Peter as we're working through 1 Peter in our sermon series. I just want to encourage you again to be reading through this letter as you are able throughout the week. Uh, I mentioned the first Sunday that it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to read all the way through 1 Peter. And if you've done that a few times, you'll notice that different things come to your attention as you read again and again. And the Lord exposes different things in the text and different things in your heart as we soak in His Word. I know many of you have other Bible reading plans that you're doing, and I'm glad for that, but I do just want to continue to encourage you as a way to prepare to hear God's Word preached, to be in 1 Peter, either reading it or listening to it throughout the week. Last week, we heard from chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, this call to holiness. Verses 14 and 15 say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so we saw that because we have been born again as children of God, we aren't just given an inheritance but we are given a new life, a life of holiness. And as we come to our text this week, Peter is going to explain further what that holiness looks like. He's going to flesh it out. And then Peter is going to focus on the Word of God and how the Word of God has the power to give us this obedience to holiness, to give us the love that we don't have in and of ourselves. It is the power, it is the strength, it is the energy to love the Christian community around us. That's where we're going this morning. But before we read God's Word, let's ask for His favor and His insight as we read it. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we know that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry now for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us in the life that is found in Jesus alone, who is indeed the bread of heaven. It's in His glorious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 22 of chapter 1 and go down through verse 3 of chapter 2. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. So as we work our way through this text this morning, we're going to see Two things primarily. First, we're going to see this command to love one another. It shows up 
first positively in verse 22, but then it shows up again in what Peter tells us to put off in verse 1 of chapter 2. And then second, we're going to see how Peter relates the Word of God to our loving one another. That's in verses 23 through 25, but then again it shows up in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. So that's where we're heading this morning. First, let's look at this command a little bit more closely to love one another. Would you read verse 22 again with me? He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There's a command there, an imperative, love one another. And this command shows up in a string of other commands that began in verse 13. The first one was set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The second one is where we turned our focus last week. Be holy in all your conduct. And then this is the third one. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And for us, as we read that phrase, one another, it can sound very generic. But in the New Testament, that term, one another, has a specific meaning and application. It almost always is referring to other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, the other people who are with you hearing God's Word. And you can even see it in the phrase that comes right before the command. Peter says that they have been purified for a sincere brotherly love or familial love. This is not just a command to love other people generally. This is a command to specifically love the brothers and sisters in the church. This echoes Jesus' command that he gives the apostles in the upper room. Right after he has washed their feet, he says to them, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so Peter follows up his command to live holy lives by telling us to love our brothers and sisters in the church. This is the first step to holy living. And as I said, it's a positive command. Holiness is relational. It's interpersonal. To be holy, you must love other Christians. This isn't the last thing that Peter is going to say about holiness, and it's not the sum total of holiness but it is the primary thing that he focuses on. He gives priority to loving others in the pursuit of holiness. And there's a reason why, especially in this letter of 1 Peter that's addressed to the elect exiles, that God puts the focus on love for other Christians. Peter's going to have plenty to say about how we conduct our lives with and in front of those outside of the church, but he starts here. And I think he starts here for a reason. This is how one commentator explains this priority. Social alienation that the Christian experiences from society is to be remedied by the genuine fellowship found within the community of believers. Remember, we talked about this the first week. When you were born again, when you became a Christian, you were alienated. You were estranged from the society around you. You lost something. You are now exiles in relation 
to the world. Some of you experience that more than others, but we all experience that loss of some commonality with those around us. And what Peter is saying is that one of the remedies from that alienation is that God has given you a new society, a new community. More than that, he's given you a new family, the church. You haven't just been saved and adopted as an only child of your father God. You have been adopted by God, but you have been adopted along with brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents and grandchildren and cousins in this household of faith, this new family. Especially more recently, say in the last 50 or 60 years, people have begun to say things like, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Some of these people are outside of faith. Mahatma Gandhi is famous for saying, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. But more and more, you will hear professing professing Christians say things like what I just said, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And some of that frustration or anger or hurt is not unfounded. The church, as all of us who have been in it for more than five minutes know, is not without spot or blemish yet. We will be at the day that Christ returns, but we are not yet. There are many things that the church has done wrong and that we need to repent of. But for now, what I want us to see is that for a Christian, it is not possible to love Jesus and to hate the church. Notice in verse 22 of our passage, Peter talks again about our new birth. This time he calls it the purification of our souls. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And just a quick note, that obedience to the truth in 1 Peter is not holy living after conversion. It's trust. It's obedience to the message of the gospel. Your obedience is falling upon Christ. So he's talking about faith there. This is the new birth that comes by faith in Jesus. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. For. This is a statement of purpose. You were saved for something. You were made new for something. Last week, we talked about how you were saved so that you could be what God had always, you to, had always created you to be, holy and happy. And what Peter's saying now is part of that happy holiness is having a sincere love for your brothers and sisters in the church. This was God's intent in remaking your heart. He remade your heart so that it would love other Christians around you, those who are in your new adopted family. This is what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then verse 10 of that same chapter says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Both Peter and John are saying that if you love Jesus, you will love other Christians. You will love your brothers and your sisters. You will love the church despite her blemishes and failings. So let me ask you, you love the church. Do you love the people who are sitting next to you right now? Or the people who are on the other side of the room? Or even maybe people who are worshiping Jesus this morning and are not in this room, but are in another room? Do you love them? It's a two-part question. Love is not merely affection. It's not merely a feeling but it is also not merely dutiful action. Do you feel affection for other Christians that you know? Not just the ones who are easy to be around or the ones who are in your same social group. Do you love Christians who have a different amount of money than you? Ones who are in a different life stage, ones who have a different skin color or speak a different language or maybe even aren't Presbyterian. Do you love your brothers and sisters? But love isn't just about affection either. It's also about action. Just before he gives the command to love one another in John 13, Jesus dresses himself in the clothes of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. Then he says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Do you give to other Christians? I'm not just talking about money, but money is included. Do you give of your resources to other Christians? Do you give of your time of your attention? Do you give yourself to other Christians? That is loving action, giving of yourself for the good of another. Do you love the brothers and sisters? One objection that you might have is that loving people is hard. It's risky. It takes something to love others, and it might result in failure or tragedy. In the way that he so often does, C.S. Lewis peers into our hearts to answer this objection. This is what he says in his book, The Four Loves. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. But if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. You must carefully wrap it round with hobbies and little luxuries and routine and avoidances of entanglement, and then lock it up in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. And this means that in the long run, the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the threat of tragedy, is damnation. For in that casket, safe, still, and unventilated in the darkness, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, 
resistant to all good and joy. It's true that loving others puts you at risk. Some of you have experienced the pain that can come from that risk, even and maybe especially from loving people in the church. But there's an even bigger tragedy that can come on you if you refuse to love. You were made to love others, both in affection and in action. Peter says that genuine love for Jesus will always manifest in love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I said, he doesn't just make a positive statement about what love looks like. He also makes a negative statement. Look down with me at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Connected to that love that we are to have for other Christians, God says we must put something away. We must put off these sins, these vices, sinful habits. First, I want you to realize that that phrase, put away or put off, is an analogy to clothing. It actually shows up a lot in the New Testament. Romans 13 says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And Colossians 3 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The picture of this, pra- of this phrase, put off or put away, is that of someone who is wearing clothes that don't fit. You've got stuff on that fit your old way of life, like Ephesians 4 just says, but it doesn't fit you anymore because you have been changed. So take off those sins and put on instead what is fitting to your new life in Christ. Peter lists these five vices that we are to take off. And I want you to see that they're not random. They're connected to what he has just said about loving one another. God commands us to get rid of sins that destroy relationships and therefore destroy community. Two of these vices have to do with destructive words. Deceit is not just fibbing. It's using your words to withhold reality from the person to whom you are speaking. And slander is using your words to hurt or destroy someone's reputation. Two of the other ones have to do with your heart. Malice is the heart attitude of hating someone. And envy longs to get what someone else has. And then the fifth, the middle term in this group, is hypocrisy. This is insincerity. This is pretending to have love for people and not truly having love or care or concern for them. Instead of trying to give yourself to them, 
You are pretending to do that and instead trying to get something from them. All of these sins are poison to a healthy community. So Peter tells us to love one another, and then he looks at these things and says, if you are going to love one another the way that Christ has called you to, you must take these things off. You must cast them away. And this connects back to what we heard earlier about this new society. I'm going to read the quote again. Social alienation that the Christian experiences from society is to be remedied by the genuine fellowship found within the community of believers. If the church is our new society, our new community, if it is the place of refuge when we have been ostracized by others, then it is a high-stakes venture to protect the peace and the fellowship of the church. Beloved, when you are hurt by a brother or sister and you are tempted to let malice grow in your heart, resist it. Remember that this person was bought by the blood of Christ. If Christ has forgiven their sins, then you must as well. When your words have begun to destroy, rather than build up, confess your sins and use your words for the good of others. This love, as John said in 1 John, is native to Christians who have been regenerated, but it isn't effortless. Pray that God would give it to you and that he would grow you in your love for others. Beloved, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and instead, love one another. The other place that Peter turns in this text might surprise us, but he's telling us how this command is possible for us to obey. He knows that it is difficult. How can we have strength and hope in this mission to love one another? Peter finds that strength and that hope in the Word of God. Look with me at verse 23 and following. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter reminds us again that we have been born again. We have been given new life. But this time he points to the way that you were born again, the instrument for your new birth, and he contrasts it with your natural or your physical birth. He says that your new birth was from the word of God. Time and again, God tells us that his word brings about life. It's the proclamation of God's word that makes spiritually dead people alive. It brings about the new birth. And because of this, Peter calls God's word a seed that has brought about new life. And it's a seed that is imperishable, that is living and abiding. And so Peter takes that and he contrasts that with your natural birth the way that your life has conducted itself in the natural world. And this is what he's getting at. When a new baby is born, 
They are brimming with life and vibrancy. And that kind of continues on for a good part of their life. And then over the course of their life, that vibrancy, that energy begins to decline or fade. So the natural life looks a little bit like a parabola. It goes up and our energy and our life and our vibrancy continues to go up for a while. And then you hit a certain point and it kind of starts to decline. You begin to lose energy. You begin to lose that vibrancy of life. This is one of the reasons why youth is so prized in our culture, because of that vibrancy and that energy that it has at the beginning of life. But it's also one of the most frustrating things about life. We get tired. We lose that energy and vibrancy. We start to get worn out. As soon as it feels like we've got our feet under us, our energy and our life begin to decline. But Peter says that your new birth is not like that. The seed that produces our new birth isn't the same perishable seed that brought about our physical birth. It is an imperishable seed. Peter calls it the living and abiding Word of God. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that we have been born again to a living hope, not a dying hope. And his point is that our life, our vibrancy, our strength in this call to loving one another isn't going to fade as time goes on. Your Christian life, your energy in pursuing holiness is not the natural parabola of life. It is an upward trajectory. Your life is not just eternal in its duration. It is eternal in the way that it grows. You will never tire in eternity from loving one another. God has not given you something that is perishable. Instead, he has given you something that is imperishable. He says this, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Your new life of love is tied to the resurrection life that is found in Jesus and to the imperishable Word of God that is living and abiding. So the first thing that ought to tell us is, don't despair. Peter knows that loving other Christians is hard, and he says that we have the exact resource we need to do this. The imperishable, living and abiding Word of God. But Peter doesn't just tell us that the Word of God is the source of our birth. He also says that it's the source of our continued life and growth as Christians. Look with me at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. He says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The first thing I want us to see is the connection that Peter makes between the Word of God and God Himself. It's not that we are going to the Scriptures to find information or a little bit of daily inspiration or abstract comfort for our problems. We are going to the Scriptures to find God. The Word is alive and active because it is God's Word. Notice what happens when we get our first taste that the Lord is good in verse 3. What does it do? What does it whet your appetite for? 
it makes you long for the Word of God. What Peter refers to here as the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk. If you want to taste the goodness of the Lord, you do so in reading and hearing His Word. The second thing to notice about what Peter says is the analogy that he makes. Remember, the Word of God is the source of our birth in verse 23. Now Peter says that it is also the source or the instrument of our growth. Just like a newborn infant, it's not like she is born into the world and then says, thanks mom, I appreciate all that you've done, I'll take it from here. No, the newborn infant is completely dependent on her mom and on all the nourishment that her mom can give her. Peter says the same thing is true for us as Christians. And notice he doesn't just say some Christians. It's not that baby Christians are compared to newborn infants. No, all Christians are compared to newborn infants. We are all, whether we're seven or 70, all completely dependent on the Word of God to grow and develop and mature as Christians. And don't forget, this is in the context of God's call to put off those vices, those sins that destroy community. How can we possibly do that day after day in a world full of temptation and difficulty and difficult people to love? Long for the Word of God, Peter says, like a newborn baby longs for its mother's milk. Fill yourself up with the Word of God to fight your sin. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6 to cap off the armor of God. He says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is both our nourishment and our weapon to fight our sin. So let me ask you, when you notice yourself slothful in holiness, when you notice that sin seems to be showing up a lot and love seems to be non-existent, when you feel starved, are you drinking your milk? Are you filling yourself with the Word of God? Are you letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Are you reading your Bible and listening to it preached? Or are you asking God why you feel weak and weary and dry when you are neglecting the very means that He has given you for nourishment? Listen to Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is profitable, it is good, it is helpful, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Peter says in verse 25, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Good news is the word for gospel. The Word of God for a Christian is not a heavy burden on your back. Remember what we said last week about the direction of our obedience. The gospel says that you have been made new. You have been born again. You have been given 
new life. And because you have been given new life, you are able to love one another as Christ has loved you. Now you are able to walk in new life. It's not that you walk in new life and God gives you the the merited gift of new life. No. New life is a gift. Your walk in holiness is a result of your faith in Christ and you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has redeemed you from the slavery to sin in which you once lived. He has saved you out of your former way of life and brought you into your new family, the church. But He didn't just save you and leave you. He has given you His Word and Spirit to grow and mature and develop that new life more and more so that you might love your brothers and sisters. Beloved, have you tasted that the Lord is good? If so, long for more of the pure spiritual milk of God's Word, that you might be equipped for the love that He has called you to. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You have given us new life. Though we have earned nothing but death, Your gift of life is given to us, not just for later on, but for right now. We pray for strength. We pray for conviction and diligence to seek You in Your Word that You might stir up more life in us and more obedience to Your call to love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.